African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It just walked into the studio. So let's quickly move on and get our uh, news uh, from Anusa. In the headlines, fighting erupts between government forces and rebels in northern Mali. The African Union could be embroiled in internal problems should they not, should they boycott the summit in South Africa. And rescue missions continue in Nepal in attempts to aid people who have been affected by the earthquake. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musam. Fighting has broken out between government forces and rebels in northern Mali, undermining the peace deal in the country. Malian army sources say fighters from the Tureg-led coordination for the movements of Azawad have attacked army posts in the town of Lere, near the border with Mauritania. This is the first clash this year between government forces and the main Tureg rebel alliance. French soldiers in the Central African Republic have been accused of sexually abusing refugee children and feeding them only in exchange for sex. A new report reveals young refugee children had been forced to let the French troops rape and sodomize them in the capital, Bangui, last year in order to receive food. The lead report, titled Sexual Abuse on Children by International Armed Forces, has been leaked by advocacy group AIDS Free World, a senior United Nations aid worker has been suspended over the alleged passing of the report to French authorities. 
The African Union could be embroiled in internal problems should they not boycott the AU summit in South Africa. This after rumors that a number of African countries are are threatening to boycott the summit amid the ongoing violence on foreign nationals in the country. The AU summit is set to take place in Johannesburg in June. Analyst Samadota Fikeni elaborates. In the event that were to take place, I do think that it may create a lot of problems within the AU because it then opens space for a tit-for-tat. Remember that Kenya was threatening to deport some of the Somalis. Then you may have a situation of a continent which may be unstable because key countries, especially key players, happen to be involved or embroiled in some of these controversies. South African humanitarian organization Gift of the Giver's Rescue Mission is continuing in Nepal in attempts to aid people who have been affected. They've traveled to the capital city Kathmandu, one of the worst hit areas following the deadly earthquake that hit the Himalaya nation on Saturday. Rescue Mission's team leader Ahmed Bam says apart from the weather challenges that many rescue teams face, other issues are hampering the rescue and aid process. A lot of equipment have been left in Singapore where we're trying to get our equipment, search and rescue equipment, some of it back here by today or tomorrow. But it's not just us. Overall, a lot of rescue teams' uh, equipment have been left at various airports all over the world. Another uh, facet to the search and rescue operation is the two South Africans that are stranded in Rangawi area. We've actually trying to charter a helicopter to go and fetch them so we can bring them to Kathmandu. Many common and treatable illnesses could become lethal unless action is taken against resistance to antibiotics. The warning follows the publication of a new report by the World Health Organization, showing for the first time that only one in four countries has plans to tackle the growing problem. WHO has devised a strategy to turn the situation around, which governments will vote on at the organization's World Health Assembly next month. Daniel Johnson reports. Raising the real possibility of a world where antibiotics no longer work, the World Health Organization report shows that only 34 countries out of 133 have measures in place to do anything about the problem. Armed with these findings, report author Dr Charles Penn said that WHO has come up with a global action plan to turn the situation around. It involves reducing the overprescription of antibiotics, better diagnosis methods and better communication about what antibiotics should be used for. Recapping the top stories, fighting erupts between government forces and rebels in northern Mali. The African Union could be embroiled in internal problems should they boycott the summit in South Africa. And rescue missions continue in Nepal in attempts to aid people who have been affected by the earthquake. A reminder, Channel Africa supports the hashtag say no to xenophobia and we are one.
Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Anne Musa for that news update. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you for joining us online and streaming us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we are crossing live to Cape Town. We're going to really be looking at the Gender Summit, which uh, started on Tuesday and is wrapping up today. African women scientists, thinkers, policymakers, businesswomen, met this week to discuss how scientific research and innovation can be used to alleviate poverty and create economic uh, empowerment on the continent. The delegates met this week in Cape Town at the 5th Gender Summit Africa aimed at uh, really uh, ensuring that there are productive conversations on how Africa can realize its full potential in infrastructure, science and other sectors, but also dealing with the issue of uh, gender parity on the continent. Now, as I mentioned the summit started on Tuesday and is said to be concluding today. Now joining us on the line we have Dr. Sonia Smith who is the professor and chair of the Department of Mechanical Engineering and principal investigator of Hugh Advanced as well as I'm glad to have Dr. Elizabeth Rissakwal. I've spoken to her before many times on our program and I always enjoy speaking to her. She's the co-chair of the Pan-African Solidarity Education Network International and also we have Professor Andre Baraud, who is the researcher at Gender Time Coordination Team or Equal Opportunities for Women and Men in Engineering Studies and uh, Careers in Europe. So thank you for all joining us there on the line. I want to start with you, Dr. Uh, Sonia Smith, in terms of looking at uh, the theme of uh, uh, this particular conference. It's really aiming to look at the issue of uh, research, innovation and scientific research. How important is that, especially when you looking at gender issues. I think we're struggling with that particular line. Let's see if we can... Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you right there. That's Dr. Sonia Smith. As I was asking you, Dr. Sonia Smith, looking at this particular gender summit uh, this year, it was really looking at the issue of scientific research and innovation and how it can be used to alleviate poverty and to create economic (laughs) empowerment on the continent. How important is that particular theme, especially when you look at gender-related issues? Um, It's very important. Um, it's very important to have our women uh, involved in scientific research, but also converting the results of that research into uh, entrepreneurial and innovative um, activities to help alleviate poverty. Uh, women are over 50% of the population, and there's a lot of talent there that can be used to alleviate, alleviate these problems on the continent. And in terms of that particular sector, in terms of uh, research, uh, do we have enough women, uh, uh, Dr. Sonia Smith, involved in this, especially in the African continent? Because when you look at the field of research, it seems to be very much uh, a male-dominated uh, uh, industry. You are you are correct, and that is precisely why the Gender Summit um, and happening in Africa is very important so that we can encourage and catalyze this amazing talent engine of the women of Africa to participate in research and creating more wealth and innovation um, on the African continent. 
And also, I think it's also important to look at the issue of uh, why it's important for women to be part of this particular issue of research and innovation. Dr. Elizabeth Rasakwala, it's great speaking to you once again. In terms of women, do you think they have a different insight, a different view of how to look at issues and how to relate to the world? Uh, Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, uh, Dr. Rasakwala. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Good to talk to you again. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, as Sonia has said, I can only add and support uh, uh, the, the good point she's made. It's very important that we appreciate that women do bring a different uh, but just as important perspective to the table in terms of research methodologies, in terms of research outcomes, and in terms of the benefits uh, of, or, and in terms of making sure that the benefits of research a community. So the, the perspective and the, the contribution of women in research is absolutely critical if we're going to achieve maximum outputs and maximum benefits for society in general, including men, by the way, uh, by making sure that women are part of the, 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 the actors and, and the, 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 the players in this field. Now, moving to you, Professor Andre Barraud, in terms of this particular uh, conversation, what's your view in terms of what we're talking about? Well, good morning. Uh, the first thing I would like to precise is that, as it was said before, but maybe we should insist on that more and more, that it's not the problem of women in our societies. It's a problem of everyone. It's a problem of democracy, for one thing. And if it is in the interest of everyone. This is why they are men. Not that many of them, unfortunately, but I am one of them. And I have been involved in this kind of work and research and action since, um, well, beginning of the century, let's say. And uh, so this is very important. Uh, I think it's important for, for Africa. I'm not the best position to talk about that, but I know that it is extremely important for Europe, and I do believe it's important for every country in the world, because the future lies in the hand of technology. Technology, we just had a discussion before with the two colleagues who are here with me today, saying that technology is part of the problem, but it's certainly the solution, or one of the solutions for, for the years to come. We must find mm. solutions for poverty. We must find solutions for health problems. We must find solutions. And for all those questions, women, women are absolutely necessary. Mm. Professor Andre Barraud, you were highlighting there that technology seems to be a problem. How so? Well, because technology has been used too often without taking into account the, the results of technology. For, let, let's take one, just one example. The problem of energy. We know that development needs energy, but where does energy come from? It can come from nuclear power plants. It can come from the sun, for example, to be very, take these very basic examples. So far, we have always put on the front line the utilization of oil, coal, and uh, nuclear power. I think we have to switch research in technology to other kinds of en- energy source, like, for example, the sun, the wind, the ocean, etc., etc. This is an example of how technology created problems, and at the same time, we do believe that energy can solve those problems. Otherwise, we are going to 
kill ourselves and to knock the head against the wall. Mm. Uh, Let me come back to you, Dr. Elizabeth Rosakwala. I know you've worked in the oil and gas and energy industries, and also you've worked in in, uh, these kind of systems whereby you really pushing certain ideas of uh, gender equality. In terms of of that particular aspect of um, the continent, how are we dealing with uh, uh, really integrating women's views in how we are approaching industry, especially the private industry in itself that you've been involved in? I think you've raised a very important aspect by bringing in the private sector, and I'm pleased you've done that because I think, unfortunately, one of the uh, slightly disappointing things for me in this conference, and I I know that it's the first one, and therefore there's room for improvement, is that for these three days we really have not heard the voice of the private sector. Uh, The conversation has been very much dominated by academia, by research institutions, which is fair enough, that's understandable. But I think when we look at the next conference, I think that would be one of the key suggestions on the table. So coming to the role that the private sector can play in in this, what is actually interesting is that the private sector in Africa is doing quite a good job in terms of getting women uh, into science, technology, engineering, and math professions. But unfortunately, these women are very much, you know, get into the job, keep their heads down, and get on with it. They don't often come to conferences like this and talk about what they're doing. Um, and I think it's a case of how do we make uh, create an enabling environment. So the private sector, yes, still has a, a lot of work to do. But from my experience, having worked in the private sector, I can certainly say that there's a lot of good practice there um, that is not being brought to the fore. Because, you know, a private sector entities seldom seem to, to, to be brought into these sorts of spaces. So that's where I think we've got some learning to come from in terms of how the private sector in Africa can really showcase the challenges, the opportunities. Um, what they're getting right and, and, and what needs to be done better. And so we can have a shared learning between the private sector and our universities, our tertiary institutions and our research institutions on the way forward. Dr. Sonia Smith, uh, Dr. Resaqual is highlighting something very important there. And I think just listening to it, it's really a shift of perspective, isn't it? And I mean, when I look at your environment where you work, you work in mechanical engineering and sometimes in that kind of field, it's very much uh, still seen as uh, a, a, an industry for men. How do you shift uh, people's perceptions, especially about industries that historically have been dominated by, ma- by males? Well, I, I agree that the private sector has done a great job in integrating women both um, here in Africa, in the U.S., where I'm from. I think shifting the field and shifting the conversation to integrate more women in mechanical engineering requires more graduates. It requires leadership at the top to communicate that this is a that this is a priority. It's something important, and I think that will make a difference. So you have to not only uh, have more women available to fill these positions, but you also need communication from the top leadership, um, maybe w- uh, women in leadership as well, but communication from whomever is at the top that this is really important.
Well, the time right now, it's almost 20 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. You are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. We're crossing live to Cape Town today, looking at some of uh, the themes that were highlighted at the Gender Summit. But really, we started the program just looking at uh, why this is such an important topic, especially in industry and governments as well on the continent. Why is it also important for us as ordinary people to shift our thinking in terms of gender-related issues. But uh, we're going to take a break right now and we'll come back with our guests. We've got Professor Andre Biraud, who's a researcher at Gender Time Coordination Team. Dr. Sonia Smith is a professor and chair at the Department of Mechanical Engineering and also principal investigator at Hugh Advanced. We also have Dr. Elizabeth Rasakwala, who's the co-chair of the Pan-African Solidarity Education Network International. Uh, stay with us. We'll be back after this break. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on Programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and Enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, we are Channel Africa and we do take pride in the fact that we are the voice of the African Renaissance. Really, uh, we are not ashamed to say we are pushing the African agenda, the pro-loving uh, attitude towards our own continent. My name is Benjamin Mushatama and you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. If you're listening to us online, thank you for streaming us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Today we are actually linking with uh, our colleagues in uh, uh, Cape Town at the Gender Summit and uh, we are speaking about really this uh, important summit that is taking place this week. It started on Tuesday and is concluding today and uh, it has been really, really an interesting uh, uh, thing to actually, I'm in Johannesburg right now but I've been following some of the discussions online and I wanted to hear from our guests today and really what were the the real themes and some of the highlights that came out from this uh, particular summit. Dr. Elizabeth Ross what stood out for you in this gender summit? I think for me there have been two highlights. Uh, the first highlight has been uh, um, really the leadership from Dr. Wanda Ward at the, from the U.S. National Science Foundation, who has really been driving this whole issue that we can't just look at gender without looking at it within the realm of the intersectionality of race and gender. Basically, we cannot talk about gender without addressing the particular challenges of women of color across the world. And I think that that is a theme that really needs to be developed much more strongly, as as recommended by by Dr. Ward, in all the, 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 the next set of gender summits, including the one in Africa. The second highlight for me has been uh, the real wonderful, and again, uh, kudos to the NSF and uh, Dr. Ward for this, has been the, the, the real wonderful participation in terms of 
quality and quantity from our African-American brothers and sisters. We've had a, a, a huge delegation here from, the North, uh, from North Africa, particularly the U.S., and I have never seen such a wonderful engagement uh, with our African-American sisters and brothers and, and then sharing with us their leadership programs. I was in a session yesterday and I was so moved. I wanted to cry. I wanted to dance with joy where they were discussing the hours, O-U-R-S, a leadership program for getting African-American women in, in, in science, technology, engineering, and math leadership positions in universities and colleges across the U.S. And that, for me, is a classic example of the kind of good practice that would be great to have in our universities in Africa. So I think, for me, mm. the highlights really uh, have come from our colleagues in the U.S. And uh, it, it has really enriched for me my understanding. Uh, I'm, I'm naturally a Pan-African person, as you know, Benjamin. I'm very <laughs> wired on the. So for me, anything that really brings that Pan-Africanism yeah, alive yeah. is something that just, you know, ticks all my boxes. So fantastic. that has been a fantastic uh, a highlight and a unique feature of this, of, of this conference. And yeah. I would love to see more of that. Um, and I would actually say to our European colleague as well that we want to put that challenge of intersectionality mm. to the European Gender Summit because as an African woman who lived for nearly 20 years in a European country mm. and worked as a chemical engineer in a European country, I am very disappointed that you have had four gender summits in Europe and not once have you talked about gender and race. Mm. So I'm putting that challenge to you, comrade, and I hope that it's going to be addressed. Because we know that there's a huge population of color uh, in Europe, and it's growing. The demographics are growing. Mm. And uh, one of the striking statistics you'd like to know, Benjamin, that really struck me uh, from the Office of National Statistics in the U.K., that by the year 2035... Half of all school-aged children in the U.K. will be non-white. Mm. Half. Mm. So if that doesn't concentrate your mind at the, the European Gender Summit, I don't know what else will. <laughs> so I look forward to seeing that uh, development, that inclusive definition of gender uh, in the, the European Gender Summit. Well, after that uh, assertion by you, Dr. Rasakwal, I have no choice but to ask Professor Andre Berard about his <laughs> highlights at the Gender Summit this year. Well, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I totally accept the challenge mm. from Elizabeth because, uh, um, you know, Europe has been looking at its own problem in terms of, of promoting women because it is a real and deep problem and very complex and very difficult. But it, what has been said by Elizabeth is absolutely true. It's, there is not only a dimension of gender, there's a dimension of integrating and promoting colored people in, in, in Europe. It is a problem. It's going to be a growing problem. And so far, the reflection in Europe has been poor on that point. There are some exceptions because there are 28 countries in Europe and the situation is not the same. This is one of the difficulties we have in Europe because we, we like to talk about Europe and we are united in, in many ways, but not on every aspect of life. And some problems are uh, obvious and evident 
like in England, like in France too, mm. uh, they don't exist, or at least not at the same level in different countries, especially Northern Europe. So that makes things difficult. But that's not a good excuse. Mm. It may be an explanation, but certainly not an excuse. So I accept absolutely this challenge, and we'll try in the next European sum Gender Summit to include this dimension. Mm. I, I'm I agree with it. Mm. Dr. Sonia Smith, you heard there from Dr. Elizabeth Rosakwala, really appreciating the United States or the USA presence in this particular uh, summit. What struck out from you, maybe coming to Africa yourself and maybe speaking to African delegates? Did you pick anything interesting and new for yourself? Yes, well, what stood out for me was the uh, plenary discussion by Minister Pandor about the SKA, the Square Kilometer Array, and how that is going to revolutionize and change the perspective for research in Africa so that Africa now will become a destination to use this world-class, one-of-a-kind astronomical instrument here in Africa, and it's a multi-country uh, initiative on the continent, and it's going to bring researchers fr throughout the world to come and do world-class research that they cannot do in any other location except on the African continent. And that is so exciting for me because one of the things that I also do, I'm a member of the Association for Universities for Research and Astronomy. They have a committee oh, on workforce diversity. And at the first meeting that I attend in 2015, I am going to put that on the agenda to make sure mm -hmm. that we have a presence on workforce diversity and those astronomers are aware of the capability. They're all excited about the SKA, but I want to make sure that there is a diverse and representative gendered presence for mm. um, astronomers working at the SKA coming from the U.S. as well. So that was what stood out for me, just the passion. I've heard her speak about it before, but just not in the context of realizing that this is going to be just a place where only this research can be done on the African continent. And mm. it's just so exciting. Fantastic. And I thought, while I'm listening to you, um, Dr. Sonia Smith, I'm thinking about how we also need to strengthen research collaboration uh, between genders from males and females. How important is that? That is, that is very important. Uh, one of the things that we discussed in uh, one of the sessions was that in order uh, to catalyze these research collaborations, it takes both women and men, but and takes not only mentorship, but also sponsorship. Quite often, the sponsor that you need, that's the person that's going to recommend you for the committee, that's going to recommend you to, you know, on the mission that will come to work on the SKA, and those people are quite often men, because they've been in the field longer, <laughs> and quite often the STEM fields, where I'm from, are male-dominated. Mm. So it takes a, it takes both sides for this collaboration. And the good thing about meetings like the Gender Summit, it is that it allows you to make those personal connections that you might not otherwise be able to do. Mm -hmm. Your views there, Professor Andre Baraud, in terms of that importance of that uh, research collaboration, that openness in terms of working together? Yes, of course, it is, it is very important. As I said at the beginning, it's, it's, it's it's a problem which concerns everyone. Mm -hmm. And um, coming back to the question that uh, Sonia answered right now about men and, and involved in, in that 
problem and the solutions yeah. to that problem. Uh, we must remember a very simple fact. Power is in the hands of man. Mm-hmm. So if we want to go on with solutions and to improve the situations, we must convince those men in power that it's in their best interest personally and, and collectively to work on that question and to try to find solutions. That gives me the opportunity to come back to another question important that you, you raised earlier about the involvement of company, private companies. Um, I remember working with Schlumberger at the end of the 90s because they had a program and they wanted to hire more women engineers in order to work in the field of, of oil and gas exploitation, exploitation at the world level. And when we ask them why they decide to have a program, very uh, offensive and, and positive program, they wanted to go from 2% of women engineers to 20% in five years. We asked them why they decide to do that. The answer was very simple, because it's, it is in the interest of the company. Mm. They did not care about human uh, equality or this kind of thing. That, that was not the, 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 the point. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they said, we believe that mixed teams are more productive. Mm. And I think here in South Africa, you, you speak about the rainbow nation. Mm. I think rainbow teams in research are more productive, more imaginative, more innovative than only men of the same age, from mm. the same origin, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Well, the social science literature supports that. Oh, of course, Absolutely. yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. But also, I'm also interested in terms of agenda, and I think that's another thing that you bring into um, the conversation, Professor Andre Biraud, in terms of the agenda of people who really facilitate or also provide funding for research and mm-hmm. for projects. Dr. Elizabeth Rasokwala, we in Africa, we don't have enough pan-African-focused, uh, agenda-driven projects or research projects that are funded well, don't we? Yes. You've highlighted a big problem. The problem is funding, and the other problem is, a, is, is, is the lack of a kind of a regional, sub-regional, or, as you say, pan-African funding frameworks. Um, we have silos in different countries, some uh, uh, with very few countries actually delivering what they're supposed to do. Uh, we have a very, uh, as I would say, a, a, quite an, a, a shameful situation on this continent in terms of funding. Uh, at the risk of showing my age, I remember we're going back now to the 1980s, <laughs> where African heads of state signed up to the what was called the Lagos uh, Plan of Action, where they committed to spending 1% of GDP on research, on R&D. <laughs> That was in the early 1980s. We're sitting here in 2015, and at the last count, I think only six African countries have met that 1% GDP uh, um, level. Uh, South Africa, I think, is on 0.9 something, so we can say they're nearly there. And there's only one African country, Rwanda, that has exceeded that Mm. 1% target. Rwanda is on 3%. Mm. And the president has been on record to say that within the next five years, he wants to increase that to 5% of GDP. So in terms of the, 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 the bold sense, funding is a big challenge. And it is a, a, the other challenge for us with funding is that most of the funding for scientific research on our continent comes from Europe, the United States, agencies, mm-hmm. aid agencies, comes from donor agencies. The problem with that, 
as as the British would say, he who pays the piper calls the tune. Mm, mm. So we find that the people who give the money d- dictate the agenda. And then we wonder why much of what goes for scientific research on the African continent does not benefit the continent. It does not capacity build our people. Mm, mm. We are exporting science and engineering jobs to people in Europe, in the U.S., because they bring the money and it's about capacity building their people. And we're basically just, you know, kind of providing the, the, the backstop. So the reality is that unless our governments are prepared to put their money where their mouth is and we start to depend less, on foreign donors for scientific research on the continent, then scientific research in Africa is not really going to make the transformational impact that it should be having on the lives of the people on our continent. And the challenge is at national, sub-regional, and pan-African continental-wide level as to how we can get African countries and governments together to address this funding challenge. Well, those are good points there. You are listening to Channel Africa right here on African Dialogue, which is our program. My name is Benjamin Mushatam. I'm speaking to Professor Andre Biraud, the Research at Gender Time Coordination Team, Dr. Sonia Smith, Professor and Chair at the Department of Mechanical Engineering and Principal Investigator at Hugh Advancet, and Dr. Elizabeth Rasakwala, the Co-Chair of the Pan-African Solidarity Education Network International. Now, we are speaking about the Gender Summit, which was taking place this week in Cape Town, really looking at how uh, scientists, thinkers, female policy makers, businesswomen can come together to discuss how scientific research and innovation can be used to alleviate poverty and create economic empowerment on the continent. I want to come back to that actually, that theme when we come back and really, really look at is this actually possible? And also I want to look at the issue of access that, uh, that Dr. Elizabeth Rasakwala just highlighted there because I think that's also important access to funding access to education and that leads us our women getting enough of that particular access the time right now is 37 minutes past 11 o'clock central african time we are broadcasting from auckland park in johannesburg and we're crossing live to cape town in south africa let's take a quick break and we'll come back as we wrap up this conversation I'm uh, disturbed, I'm petrified, I'm concerned because uh, we are Africans. Africa gave us support during difficult times. Now it's our turn to provide support when there are difficult times. If there are problems, I think we've got leadership that is strong enough in this country to deal with those problems. This is the leadership that you know, came up with a solution on the most difficult question of apartheid. So therefore people must find within themselves to inundate the leadership with whatever question, whatever answers they want on solving the problem that they've identified, not to resort to violence. Kina Kachana, ni Manalifas La Africa, Yasimluha Mana Zambia, ni Nyefrarikezo, Zakuketula Bazohule, ni Susueza Tukongo, Teomano Nongolo, Kobana Balifas La Africa Kaufela. We have seen the anger. We, are, we accept that people were frustrated. We are calling for, for calm that we should solve these problems. We have stayed with people from outside for many years. We have never had a problem. This now must stop because we cannot continue killing one another. As Africans, 
belonging to the same continent, we need to find a way. And the government is working hard to find a way where there will be coexistence. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. Time right now is almost uh, uh, 14 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. We've got five minutes left, so it's not much time to to look at uh, some of the issues that we want to deal with. But I I really want us to be short in our answers just so we can be quick moving forward. But um, I want to look at really the issue of excess that I wanted us to highlight earlier on uh, because we need to create as a continent a next generation of core scientists and researchers and managers and leaders and we need people to really mentor those in these um, industries of science, technology, engineering and mathematics. Uh, Now I want to start with you Dr. Sonia Smith. How do we create enough access to education for women and how do we make sure that we also create a generation that's really open-minded when it comes to how they relate uh, gender-wise? Well, it's a complex problem, and there's not one answer uh, to that. But I think you have to start with uh, policy. You need uh, many things. You need mentors. You need uh, a good education system uh, and its transportation to make sure that the students can get to school. It's helping them matriculate uh, through uh, primary, secondary school and, and to university and also encouraging those talented men and women to go on to get their uh, Ph.D. degrees, participate in research, and go back and help the next generation. So it's, it's, it's multifaceted. It takes all hands on deck, as they say, um, to make this, make this work. But access and, and mentoring and policy is, is the key, in my view. And also, it's very interesting, after you do graduate, Dr. Elizabeth Rosakwala, as an African woman in terms of excess in the industry itself, how um, difficult is it and how do you actually create a path for black African women in very, very tough industries? And I think these industries, the STEM industries, are not easy industries to work in. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth Rosakwala, are you still there? See if we can really reestablish. I think uh, we've lost uh, a contact there, but that's how we can wrap it up then because I think we've lost a contact with our guests there. But that was Professor Andre Baraud, a researcher at Gender Time Coordination Team, and also we had Dr. Sonia Smith, who is a professor and chair at the Department of Mechanical Engineering and Principal Investigator at Hugh Advanced. Also, we had uh, Dr. Elizabeth Rasakwala, who's the co chair at the Pan African. Solidarity Education Network International. Let me see if I still have these guys on the line. Um, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Rosakwala, can you hear me there? No, there's no one there. So we're going to take a quick break uh, before we move on to our economics update. But I think it was a very interesting conversation. I want to hear your views in terms of, do you think that in terms of uh, excess as women, do you think they have uh, enough of that particular opportunities within these particular STEM industries, that science, technology, engineering, and mathematics? Tell us what you think we, we can do to create that excess so we can move the continent forward. Let us know your thoughts by SMSing us on plus two. 
27823325903 that's plus 27823325903 or you can uh, interact with us via twitter at channel africa 1 or at african dialogue on twitter or hey there's another way that you can actually find us online you can actually go to our facebook page simply titled channel africa but uh, let's uh, take a quick break and then we'll come back after that I'm Benjamin Mushatama. I'm an African from South Africa. I say no to xenophobia. Let's unite, Africa. Kenna Elizabeth, mo Africa wa go tswa go la province ya Limpopo, mo Africa borwa. Ke gana na le dihlaselo tsa badudi ba dinaga di shele e le go xenophobia. Let's unite, Africa. Jina langu naitwa Michael Harere. Mimi ni Mwafrika kutoka Uganda. Siungi mkono chuki dhidi ya wageni. Afrika tuungane pamoja. Je m'appelle Jacques. Je suis un Africain de Côte d'Ivoire. Je dis non à la xénophobie. Restons unis, Africains. Ek is Janine, ek praat Afrikaans. Kom ons staan saam en sê nie vir xenophobia. Let's unite Africa. I'm uh, disturbed, I'm petrified, I'm concerned because uh, we are Africans. Africa gave us support during difficult times. Now it's our turn to provide support when there are difficult times. If there are problems, I think we've got leadership that is strong enough in this country to deal with those problems. This is the leadership that you know, came up with a solution on the most difficult question of apartheid. So therefore people must find within themselves to inundate the leadership with whatever question, whatever answers they want on solving the problem that they've identified, not to resort to violence. Yes, this is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Time right now is 45 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Uh, Tabisa Luko is with us to give us our economics update. Thanks, Benjamin. Anglo-American Platinum will cut 474 jobs in South Africa this week as part of restructuring plans. The world's top producer of the white metal started its restructuring in 2013 after a wave of strikes eroded profits. Amplats was met with the fierce resistance from government and labor unions when it first unveiled its plans to cut two jobs two years ago. Labor Union AMCU says the retrenchments have been agreed to during consultations. Amplats spokesperson Bumi Sotole. 
with disagreements and engagements with the unions, the government and all relevant stakeholders, uh, the numbers were brought down substantially. The result of that, I mean, all that we needed to do as an organization was to ensure that we get the company back to a sustainable state where we could uh, save more jobs for more people working for the company. So that was a decision that a company had to take as the commodity prices have not been doing well. Meanwhile, South Africa's telecommunications provider Telcom has made provision for retrenchment and voluntary severance packages of just a short of around $50 million. Telcom embarked on a restructuring process affecting the likes of its direct stores and resulting in the outsourcing of its call centers, IT legacy systems. Telcom says it continues to experience pressure on its fixed line voice usage and lease line revenues. Telcom is set to release its results in June. Continental reinsurance plans to acquire rivals across Africa over the next three years as the Nigerian firm seeks to expand on the continent. In each of the company's five African regions, one subsidiary has been given the responsibility to look for acquisitions. Nigeria's National Insurance Commission is improving premium income of the insurance and reinsurance industry in Africa's largest economy and oil producer. This as it enforces rules that require companies with at least five workers to provide life cover. Pepcor, the clothing retailer bought by Steinhoff International Holdings, plans to double its presence in Nigeria with 10 store openings per year until 2018. The company opened its first outlet in Africa's most populous country in 2012 and will have 31 stores. The clothing and foodwear chain plans to sustain the growth rate over the next three years. The Industrial and Commercial Bank of China has signed an infrastructure agreement with $2 billion with Equatorial Guinea. The agreement was signed on Tuesday following a meeting with President Xi Jinping and his Equatorial Guinean counterpart, Theodore Bianguema, in Beijing. The deal will include uh, providing financial support to Equatorial Guinea's government as well as the Chinese enterprises there. China has sought to broaden financial support for Chinese companies investing abroad as part of a policy drive known as going out. The bank has called Africa the strategic development heart of going out for firms the bank supports. The U.S. dollar trades at 11.82 South African Rand, 9.63 in Botswana, 7.37 Zambia. 065 British pound, 91 euro, gold 1204 dollars, platinum $1147 an ounce, brand crude $65, 50 cents a barrel. Channel Africa supports the hashtags to say no to xenophobia and we are one. Channel Africa's economic update, I'm Tabiso Lahoko. Now let's move on to our sports. Musibudi Makura is standing by.
fans and starting off with boxing news. Floyd Mayweather Jr. may well retain his professional record, but many other records will be broken in Las Vegas this coming Saturday. Income from ticket sales from the fight between the undefeated Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao will shatter one of those records. The live gate receipts are expected to reach for, um, 70 million US dollars. International boxing analyst Peter Lopeng says Mayweather, who has not been beaten in 47 professional fights, is favored to take his record to 48 0. If you know your boxing, you'll know that Mayweather will win. Mayweather will win, and he'll win an easy fight against uh, uh, Manny, uh, Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao has never been in the same class as, uh, as, as, as Mayweather, and I'm prepared to put my head on the block to say that. And then Manny Pacquiao, for the first time, is going to know what uh, uh, being taught the boxing lesson is, is, uh, is all about. About Mayweather up against a quick south pole, Lopeng says he has been beaten or has beaten eight of his left-handed opponents. Very, very interesting to say that because he, he was also here. He was here. Remember, Mayweather was here uh, was it some time uh, early last year. He came here and to be, as, the, as most of the press, we asked him that question. He said, uh, I did it because I, I just knew what the answer was going to be. But one of the, of the journalists asked him and said, look, Floyd, uh, you seem to be having... A problem with South Post, and then, uh, and then Mayweather said, "How many South Post did I fight?" And I think he said, the guy said about seven or eight of them, and said, "But and then what was the result? No, you won. So what is the problem? I beat all of them. So you, you cannot turn around and 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 say that's Floyd now. Say to me that I have problems with South Post because I've met seven or eight of them and I've beaten all of them." Outgoing Kenyan Athletics Chief Asai Kiblegad plans to make the fight against doping a top priority if elected Vice President of the Sports World Governing Body, the International Association of Athletics Federations. Kiblegad is said to step down from his Kenyan post on Friday to concentrate on his campaign ahead of the IWAF elections in Beijing. In August, says his bid is anchored on his strong belief in cleaning up the sport. The controversial athletics Kenya boss, whose office was heavily criticized for taking too long to address the problem of doping says he would propose a live ban for athletes found guilty of using banned substances. Kipligat also pledges to develop more athletics grassroots interest among the youth in Africa to inspire the next generation of athletes to embrace and actively take up the sport. On to football news, newly appointed Nigerian head coach Stephen Keshi is ready to get off the blocks as he tinkers with the Super Eagles on his second return to the national team. Keshi has been tied down to a two-year deal by the, by the Nigerian Football Federation after a series of postponements and the former Togo coach is keen to get the business as the AFCON qualifiers, as the AFCON 2017 qualifiers starting in June approaches. Nigeria failed to qualify for the 2015 edition in Equatorial Guinea, consequent which many thought they will that will spell the end of his journey as the Eagles coach. But after signing a new two-year deal, Keshi is looking to bury the ghosts of the time past. It's said that Keshi will reel out some names of players that he wants to access to ne- that he wants access to to next month's camp with an eye on the African qualifier against Chad in June. Nigeria are in Group G of the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers alongside Egypt, Tanzania, as well as Chad. On to local football news, a brace from Menzi Masugu said Orlando Pirates on a way to a hammering 4-1 
to a 4-1 hammering rather of Supersport United at Orlando Stadium on Wednesday night. It was an action-packed match throughout with the defences seemingly non-existent at times as goals and chances on goal came with nearly every play. On a Pirates caretaker coach Eric Tinkler congratulated his, congratulated his charges on their performance. At first I actually thought we started well because Menzi had an opportunity right in the beginning of the game, within the first five minutes. We hit the post, but then it, it kind of collapsed from there for about 30 minutes. They, they came back into the game. They started to create a lot of opportunities. We were making a lot of errors. You know, the goal they scored, we gifted them, in my personal opinion. You know, it was an easy clearance, but, you know, it was like we were testing to see what the temperature of the bathwater was instead of putting our foot through the ball. Sometimes you've got to play ugly football if you want to get results, and we made it difficult for ourselves, you know, but credit must go to them because they, they reacted positively, and, you know, we got ourselves back into the game, got the equaliser, got the second just before half-time, and I think that obviously was very demoralising for them. In other matches of the evening, um, champions in waiting Kazi Chiefs defeated Mamloli Sundowns by a goal to nil. Amazuli and Platinum Stars played out to a goalless draw. Mbomalanga Black Aces and Bulogwani City played out to a 2-0 draw. Bloemfontein Celtic defeated Chipa United by a goal to nil. While Free State Stars defeated Vitz also by a goal to nil. Well, those are your sports news at the South. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. All right, that's how we wrap it up. Just a reminder that we won't be with you uh, tomorrow and uh, we'll be back with you next week, though. But thank you for joining us. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Interact with us via Facebook. Channel Africa is the page. Twitter at Channel Africa 1 or at African Dialogue. Those are the two handles. Or you can simply SMS us your views on plus 27823325900. That's plus 27823325900. Coming up is uh, Africa Midday, and it'll give you the latest on what's happening in the news on the continent.